Welcome to the Dadability Podcast, proudly brought to you by WeFlex, fitness for everybody. This podcast is dedicated to the support and empowerment of all disability dads, to learn from each other by sharing our successes, struggles, and everything in between. Thanks to everyone for listening. Really appreciate your support. If you want to get in touch with me, you can drop me a line at dadabilitypodcasts at gmail.com or send me a voice message directly through this podcast. On today's episode, I chat with an absolute legend of a dad, Mr. Josh Byrne. Josh is the dad to two girls, one of whom, six-year-old Edie, has profound hearing loss and diagnosed with cerebral palsy. I chat to Josh about celebrating milestones, participating in the hearing world, why not sharing in the early days of the diagnosis helped him. And I get an insight into how he's been able to successfully normalize the day as a dad of a child with a disability. Enjoy. I'm joined by Josh all the way from Tasmania. And uh, Josh has got an amazing story, which I'm just starting to understand. And I, I know he's keen to share his experiences with, with everyone today. And, and Josh is the dad to two girls, um, a six-year-old Edie, who he's going to talk about in terms of disability. And um, Josh, thanks so much for joining us, mate. No worries, Rob. Thanks very much for having me, mate. Pleasure to nah, be here. Nah, thank you, mate. Now, do you want to start by just um, educating the listeners on what exactly is um, Edie's disability? Yeah, so Edie was born uh, profoundly deaf in both ears. Um, you know, it was picked up in the newborn hearing screen uh, before we left hospital. Uh, so I think on about day four after she was born, they, they come in and they put the cup on her ear and, and do the test and that got they don't say pass or fail, they say pass or refer because yeah, they're not going to tell you with a newborn baby that your child's failed a test. Yeah, They just say, oh, we, we're going to refer you for a bit of further testing. Don't worry, it's probably nothing. Uh, so before we with her, after uh, a day, I think day five, we had a first specialist appointment um, for an audiologist. And we went back to the hospital two weeks later and we did our first full diagnostic test uh, where they stuck wires and sensors and yeah uh, everything on her ear is and everything from there and uh yeah we, we did four of those diagnostic tests uh over the course of about two months uh and by eight weeks we had a formal diagnosis that she was profoundly deaf uh in both ears um and then once uh once they've diagnosed a, a small baby with uh with profound hearing loss they has to try and figure out what's caused it um, right. to the best of their ability uh, in case it has any, you know, if that's just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Uh, we found out that it was caused by uh, a virus called the uh, cytomegalovirus or CMV, um, which is quite common in Australia. About 2,000 babies a year are born with it. Um, wow. And of that 2,400 of them will be uh, affected with some form of lifelong disability. Um. So once they found out, they started treating her for that. Um, and then uh, after about 
three months, we, we were put in touch with some audiology teams to start going through the process uh, with Australian hearing uh, for you know, just finding out what level um, on the scale of hearing loss where she was and what that would mean long term. Um, but knowing that at profound a profound level of deafness that she was most likely going to end up having to have cochlear implants if she was going to be able to hear. So we trialled little hearing aids for her uh, for six months. Um, But after about three or four months, that wasn't going to be uh, productive or feasible for her long term. She wasn't gaining any access to sound. Okay. Uh, yes, yeah, so my wife and I, uh, in consultation with a specialist, had to make a decision about whether to put her forward for the cochlear implant surgery. And uh, yeah, she's had that, had the surgery at eight months, uh, and so really got switched on for hearing at eight months old. So she's quite happy with the fact that she gets to celebrate two birthdays every year. Uh, we have her <laughs> her her birthday where she was born in December, and then we have her hearing birthday uh, in August. So um, she likes to have two cakes a year. Um, Who doesn't? No, that's right. Um, so, yes, she, she's uh, had the cochlear implants since eight months. Um, wow. And, and Josh, I mean, other than... Edie being a legend for being born early December, like myself, she's, um, that's, there's a lot that you've just kind of touched on there in terms of from, you know, the time she was born until, until when, you know, you made the tough decision to get the cochlear uh, implant surgery there. But describe for me what that's like as a, as a dad, you're going through an eight week process to even kind of get more answers and, there's unknowns, but you had you probably had a good inclination. Like, what, what was that like for you, mate? Did that was that how hard was that for you? Yeah, well, it's yeah. We've got a, a, a child with, with with suspected hearing loss. Everything you in your being wants to walk up to their while they're asleep with two pans and just bang them together to see if it's really happening. Yeah. Yeah, because if you go, if I drop this pot on the floor in the kitchen while I'm cooking, and she turns around or screams, then then she must be uh, the specialist. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, over the course, the reason we had to have the four tests is because she kept getting differing results. Uh, One week she'd go in for a diagnostic test, and they'd say that she couldn't hear anything below 105 decibels, which is about a jet engine standing next to a jet engine or, or a concert. Um, and then we'd go in for another one and they'd say, oh, well, she can actually hear, she just can't hear anything below 50 decibels. When you're like, oh, well, that's, yeah, which is conversational. So she just couldn't hear a whisper. Um, and then you go back for another test and they would be back up to 85 decibels. Now, what they surmise now is that potentially her hearing was was getting better once she was born uh, and then just the virus because it wasn't being treated because it hadn't been detected at that stage um, may have taken away uh, the rest of her hearing. So, um, yeah, you just, 
you sit there and go, well, if I just make a noise, then it's not real and I don't have to worry. You know, we don't have to worry about it. We'll just get back on with what I picture life with two kids is going to be like. Yeah. And you have the tests and, and you get the results at the end of it and you just go, okay, well, this is, this is what it is. It's real now, okay? So we've got all the formal diagnosis. I think once we had a couple of tests in a row that showed the same thing, everyone's yeah. just like, okay, well, this is what it is now. Um, and, yeah, it's reset, okay? Um, you know, any, any parent with a child will have uh, milestones or, you know, you have calendars and, you know, you know they should be walking at yeah. how many yeah. months and eating solids at, you know, six months or he should be introducing this. And uh, so we went from a calendar to milestones. You know, we yeah. changed from, a, from looking at where she should be on, on a calendar to what can she do now and what do we want to focus on her doing next and how do we get from one point to the next point. And then, you know, once she got to that point B, we celebrated. You know, we took stock of where we were and we went, that's excellent. We've, we've really achieved what we set out to. But what do we want to do next? And that's something we haven't stopped in six and a half years. Um, you know, we celebrate the milestones that she achieves and then we, we work now in conjunction with her well, what is it that we want to be able to do next? Now, that could be ride a bike. It could be, um, you know, take swimming lessons. could yeah. be any, any manner of things. But, uh, you know, what, where are we now and what do you want to achieve next? Uh, and then how do we help you get to that? doesn't matter if, you know, she's two, two years behind the ball or, two years ahead of the ball, we don't focus on the calendar. We just focus on the milestone. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's, um, it's a great, great approach, mate. And I, and I'm, you know, it's even better that she's able to be involved in those, um, you know, those kind of decisions and those goals and milestones now as well. And I think it's, yeah, uh, I think it's, it sounds, it sounds great to move from what's next, right. As an what's next attitude. I think that's, we do the same um, with Leo. We, you know, we have, you know, goals and milestones and sometimes that, you know, goals change and milestones change mm. and we throw them out the window and we start again. So I think it's, um, yeah, you've just got to be a bit more agile to it. I, I, I want to go back to slightly, Josh, to the, the switched on moment because I'm, <laughs> I genuinely don't know and I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that don't know either. Like, did Edie have any hearing or awareness of hearing that you're aware of before then. And, and it is the switched on moment what I think it is, which is she starts to hear things for the first time and you can see that in her, in her eyes and in her reaction. Like what, what is that moment? Yeah. So look, to our knowledge, she didn't have access to any sound prior to then. Okay. Um, as we said, there's an inkling maybe that she had a little bit from yeah. for a couple of weeks there very early on. Um, but we'll never know. Um, so at eight months old, uh, you know, we had the, we made the decision, 
um, my wife and I, you know, in conjunction with our specialist, you know, our, our team of specialists, we had that having the cochlear surgery would be the best option for her to be able to participate uh, in the hearing world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we took her up to Sydney, came up to Sydney and, and uh, had the surgery up there. And then four days after the surgery, um, yeah, you sit in a room uh, with some audiologists. Uh, of course, shout out to our, our good friend Mel, who was uh, <laughs> Edie's first audiologist and, and uh, who we miss uh, seeing regularly uh, now that she's moved on to another role. But, um, you know, she was there in the room with us and it's literally they turned the processor on and everyone's quiet and they put it on the side of her head and then I started talking to her and uh, she had that eyes light up moment that you uh, wow. you see go viral every so often, which, um, you know, it was always, you always see it and you always do the, oh, wow, that's so awesome. But when it's your own child and you can see their, uh, their face light up uh, and turn to look at you when you talk. So I started talking to her and she had a big smile and looked at me and then um, <laughs> she was sitting on, on Alice and my wife's lap and she started to talk to her and, and she had looked, looked up and over her shoulder because, oh, who's making that noise? And, and, looked oh. up. and, then, and then she started uh, talking to herself and, um, yeah, it's, I don't know if she's been quiet in the in six years <laughs> since. She, she was certainly a big fan of what she heard when she started talking. Um, yeah. So you know, it's it's incredible to be as incredible it is to, as to watch a video on Facebook or on Instagram yeah. or or anything where you see someone else, and it's um, uh, immeasurable yeah. times different when it's your own child, um, and yeah, it's certainly something very special. And I still I've had the video on every phone I've had uh, since it happened, and it's the first thing that gets transferred over. Uh, whenever I get a new phone, I still watch it regularly. I'm sure, mate. It's so special. It's just, um, I feel like I'm there living the mark. I could only imagine what that would look like and how it would feel like. I, I, yeah, incredible. What's that? What a special memory. Yeah, because there's a big part of you as well. You make the decision to have the surgery. And, you know, I, I carried her in, put her on the, the table in the theatre, yeah, and uh, I held her hand while they put the drips in, and you know, kissed her on the head and walked out. And then uh, we walked around the hospital uh, outside the hospital, went to find a cafe, had breakfast for I think four hours while she was in having the surgery. Um, and then you wait for four days to make sure it was successful. <laughs> yeah, um, they they had they give you a sort of inclination that everything's working uh, during the surgery. They do a little test uh, while she's under just to make sure that it's working and yeah. and everything's um, set up. But then you, for four days, sit there and go, have we not only just put our baby through surgery, but have we done it for no reason because it's not going to work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's relief, it's joy, it's it's just a cascade of emotions when it happens, and 
uh, it's life changing in every manner, every way you can imagine. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. It's incredible. Now I know you were saying to me earlier when we caught up that um, uh, Edie's got a fantastic. Obviously, she communicates you know well now through the processes, but she's and she can hear, but she's um, got a distinct lack of advocacy for her profound hearing loss. I think you um, selective hearing comes to mind, but she's got yeah. a unique way of looking at at her level of hearing, right? Do you want to share with everyone what that is? Yeah, so she goes to mainstream school, um, which is great. So she participates in in her everyday class, but we're sort of getting to the stage now. She's grade one where you know, we, we're trying to instill a bit of advocacy in her and you know, make sure that she can't hear someone that she asks them to repeat it. And you know, she she's actually putting her hand up and saying, sorry, I can't hear that. And uh, my wife was saying to her the other day, you know, what, do you, what are your processes for? Um, you know, the processes she's worn every day since she was eight months old. And she goes, well, they, they help me hear. And, and then I said, can you hear without them? And he's like, no, no, I can't. So I said, well, that's because you're deaf. You know, the not being able to hear that processor means you're deaf. And Edie is just sitting there and just said, I'm what? And, uh, <laughs> and I said, you're deaf. That, that, that means, you know, you're deaf. That's what it's called. And she goes, I am not. How very dare you. And, uh, yeah, she, so she's unaware. She's a six-and-a-half-year-old who's been deaf since she was born or profound hearing loss since she was born yeah. who has no indica- <laughs> you know, recollection that that's actually what that means. So, um, yeah, she, uh, she hears what she wants to hear. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think now we've got, gone from a child who, who, can't, who couldn't hear anything because of a uh, – a disability to now one who chooses not to hear because of a bad attitude. And um, I guess that's really all we could ever ask for. Totally. Totally. Uh, I think you said that she's, uh, she's uh, too smart for her own good. Sometimes why she'll, uh, she's going to do something. She knows she might get in trouble for just, just take the processes off. Just takes, takes take. the processes off. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if we walk into a room or walk into a lounge room and see the processes, uh, sitting on the arm of the couch, it's a mad scramble to find her and find out where she is. And yeah, what's she, she up to? Be, Clearly, something. Yeah, 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 climbing up a chair, trying to uh, reach a high shelf that she shouldn't, or uh, uh, into her sister's toys is always a good one. Just uh, down in her sister's room while she's distracted and playing with all the Lego that she's not allowed to touch. And Love because uh, if she can't hear you saying no. That means she can do whatever she wants in her book. Absolutely, I, I, that's it's called selective hearing, mate. I have it sometimes <laughs> as well. It works well. I was going to say it works well. It doesn't really, but uh, no, that's um, that's great. Good honour. What a, what a what an outlook. What is inclusive fitness at WeFlex? We understand disability and are committed to connecting people living with a disability and unique needs to the health and fitness industry. Our trainers provide safe, welcoming spaces for people with a disability, no matter what makes you unique. 
Our fitness programs are tailored to the unique needs and your specific goals. Our fitness professionals support you and are accredited to take control, help you feel confident, and above all, have fun. You can now access the support you need to take more control and feel more confident in your life. So if you'd like to get your son or daughter more active and increase their quality and enjoyment of life, contact WeFlex now at www.weflex.com and get active with WeFlex. Josh, um, when you when you kind of, I suppose, were, I suppose, coming to terms with mm. the, the differences that it was going to be for you as a dad, you've got, you know, you've got another another daughter, and obviously, Edie coming along with the hearing loss. I, I'm I'm curious as to kind of, I suppose, every dad processes it differently in terms of the change or what they thought it would be and what it is, and um, I think you've you've articulated uh, really well what that what that journey was like from the early days but as you started to come to terms with it man i think you you had a slightly different reaction but i think a very normal reaction to how a, a, a lot of dads i suppose process it or come to terms with it and and yeah do you mind sharing what that was yeah so we we really didn't share it uh we, we uh, our immediate families knew uh, a very tight uh, group of friends knew um, our, our workplace, our, our, our superior, our, our seniors, staff at work knew. But we we didn't really go around telling you anyone uh, because we just didn't want to continually relive it and continually retell it um, yeah, because you know, it's it was quite traumatic. Um, for us, we just didn't want to have to tell the same story and get the same reaction from uh, everyone in our lives um, over and over again. You know, the the people we saw on a regular basis who we didn't know um, until really we had uh, she had the surgery. Yeah, we put a bit of a social media post up. Yeah, when we were in Sydney the day she was going in uh, for her surgery, and said, "You know, this is what's happening." You know, um, as many of you don't know, um, you know, Eden was born profoundly deaf uh, in both ears, and today she's having surgery. Um, yeah, it was just um, we, my wife and I process things differently. Uh, and it was just how do we, uh, how did we come up with the what would work for us as a team, mm. uh, as a unit, uh, the best way. And um, where I'm usually quite a, a person who's happy to talk to people about uh, things and, and talk through it. Um, yeah, this was just something that we felt. Um, yeah, it just, it was telling the same story, you know, every day was just too much for us to really, yep. to look at until we, for, we had a chance to, you know, to, to understand 
uh, where we were going with it because um, for those first couple of months, um, it changed so often. Um, there was a, a time there early on where they thought she might have been uh, had a visual impairment as well. Right. So we were, we were going to um, eye surgeons because they thought she might have been, um, if not fully blind, partially blind. Um, yeah, there was, um, she has a, a low muscle tone and a low muscle mass. So she was a very floppy baby um, and, and you know, didn't start to uh, you know, sit up or crawl or, or eventually walk until very late. So there was, uh, in terms of physical development and gross motor skills and gross motor development, uh, there were things there. So it, everything for those first six months, um, it seemed to change with every specialist appointment. Uh, so on top of having a six-month-old baby who was you know, on a six-month-old baby sleep schedule, uh, needed all of the attention any other six-month-old baby needed and um, to have all of the other things. It's, uh, yeah, it, 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 didn't, it didn't help us move on with our lives, like our day-to-day lives, by constantly having to tell the same story to everyone we saw every day. So it was just, how do we make this happen? Uh, how do we get to the next day? And then at the end of that day, we'd sit there and go, what have we got on tomorrow? And how do we make that happen? We were uh, very fortunate that uh, where I worked was just over the street from the hospital, uh, the pediatrician, the, the pediatrics award uh so really for those first six to eight months every test every appointment um we were both able to go to my wife and i so we were right there to be able to support each other um to be able to make sure that you know i didn't go to appointment and then have to repeat everything and we weren't there making you know, putting extra pressure on ourselves to make sure that you remembered everything that the doctor said so that you could tell the other person perfectly what had happened so that, you know, everyone was on the same page. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was it was tough. We, we were very uh, fortunate. We, we got uh, in touch, put in touch with uh, through a friend of um, an old uh, housemate of my wife. There was a, an international... Uh, student who was doing university over here who was looking uh, for somewhere to stay and sort of do a bit of au pair work. And well, we didn't really need a full-time au pair, but um, whilst you know, we were, it was really Ali's full-time job was going to appointments and driving and, and getting this test result and going and doing this. And you know, I'd pop in for all the, the big appointments, but there was some you know, just day-to-day stuff that, um, you know, like tests and, swabs and stuff that I just wasn't, couldn't get to. Yeah. But, you know, we still had a two and a half year old uh, who wanted attention when we came home. Like, um, you know, we had a house that needed to be cleaned. We needed to cook dinner, needed to wash up. Um, so we were, we're fortunate that we have a little almost self-contained granny flat uh, downstairs at our property. Uh, and uh, we were, you know, so... We had a lovely young French girl move in with us for uh, six months and 
you know, twice a week she'd clean the house, clean the bathrooms, change the towels, change the beds, um, you know, cook dinner for us two or three nights a week. Uh, and then every night, you know, she'd unstack and restack the dishwasher. It just It meant that we could have time together as a family on top of all of the running around. Um, that, you know, the time that we were really all, you know, as a family, when you become a family of four, you expect to have that, just, you know, everyone's sitting on the couch and reading a yeah. book or, um, you know, throwing a, a ball around yeah, uh, sort of time, you know, so just that, that relaxation time that uh, for the first couple of months we just weren't getting. It was just uh, appointment to appointment to appointment to work to appointment to work to uh, picking up uh, children from, from uh, the eldest from daycare to, yeah, it's um, certainly not how you envisage it. Oh, a- a- absolutely not, man. I think um, I think what you've described, though, is just so relatable to so many people that are, you know, I suppose even going back from just, you know, how you responded and how you reacted and not having to have the same story relayed every day 300 times over and, and all the, you know, how draining and emotionally draining and you know that's that's a it's a it's a tough thing and i think that you know regardless of the of the disability that your your child has not only is everyone processed it differently but the length and the journey and the, and the time taken to get the clarity and get the i don't know the closure and the support that you need like there's so many things that make everyone's i suppose uh journey time frame different and I think what you've described is a very, uh, I want to say normal, but a very, um, you know, it, it, there is no, it's kind of what we were saying earlier about milestones versus um, the calendar, right? So there is no, <laughs> there is no calendar when, when your child has a disability, you know, you, as parents, you have to work through your own stages of, of milestones <laughs> as you go from point A to point B, as you said before, it's, um, I think it's just. I think what's great, about it is it's, yes, yeah, it's just a normalization of, of how you how you deal with it and how you process it. And, yeah. um, well, I know. I mean, I'm conscious of time, mate. We could talk all day, but I think um, um, one other thing I, I think I, uh, just wouldn't want to want to finish on is is just that when we we're chatting earlier, you're talking about how you. Um, one of your pet hates is is um, when people say they feel so sorry for you or or that you, you're doing such a good job. And I think you had such a such an interesting insight that I've never heard before, mate. In regards to that, that I'm I'm sure every dad out there who's in their own stage of the journey would would love to hear. So, what is it that pisses you off about that? Why why does that bother you so much when someone says that you're doing such a good job as a dad? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's my, certainly my pet hate is <laughs> when when someone will tell you we'll go and do something, um, you know, that every, like yeah, we go to the park or you do a park's probably a bit a basic example, but when you do something that a parent, any other parent would do with their child or any child, you know, just something that you would consider a regular activity. Uh, if you're there with a child with disability, so as well as her profound hearing loss, uh, Edie has um, 
cerebral palsy, so she she needs um, braces for her legs. Yeah. So she has quite a visible disability. She you know, she has a, um, a pronounced uh, a stumbly gait, so it needs to hold hold her hand. She has you know, not great balance, or and she has you know, processes. She's always wearing a headband with the processes on it. So yeah, you know, she, she she has visual indications that she has a, a disability. Um, but it's when you're just doing something, and people tell you, "Oh, what a great job you're doing." And it always just, I always think if I was just here with my oldest child doing this, um, who's you know, neurotypical, no, no disabilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you said the same thing? Uh, it, it's, it's that same thing where you have a dad take, you know, it shows up in the news every couple of months. You know, when a dad takes their kids to the supermarket, they'll always get the pat on the back like, oh, well done you. And but if a mum takes their kids to the supermarket, they don't they don't get that. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's the same thing for having a child with disability, is that if you're doing what other people consider the normal thing, it doesn't mean you've done anything special. Mm. It's just what your normal is. Mm. And if you allow yourself to start thinking well, my my opinion is if you allow yourself yeah, yeah. to start to start thinking that what you're doing is special, you start to get back into a mindset of this is what I'm doing is different than everyone else, and then but why is what am I doing everything? So why is what I am doing different to anyone else? And you just end up in a a spiral of oh no. I'm, why is this happening to me again? Why is why is my child different? Um, so I think it's very important to normalise. Yeah. Uh, you know what your day looks like because what my day looks like, what uh, you know, Fred who's three doors down from me, his day looks like. They're not going to look the same, and they're not going to look the same if our children were both on the same level of physical and uh, mental ability. Um, but yeah, what, what I think I'd do as a dad is the same as what any other dad would do with their child, regardless of, of their ability. Um, it's certainly, yeah, it's just almost a level of patronizing sometimes when someone says, oh, you're doing such a good job. Yeah. I I think anyone in the situation would do the same thing and, and they would find out how they could do the same thing. Um, yeah, so it just it's one of my great bugbears. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, yeah, I find it really um, refreshing, mate, and, and quite honest uh, as uh, for you to describe it and share that. And um, that's, you know, but I think a lot of people need to hear it too because I've been there and I've felt that and I've played the victim card for a while and thought that, you know, this is happening to me and I don't, you know, it's not what I, it's not what I thought, and you know you can get yourself stuck in that spiral. And uh, you know I, like yourself, mate. I, my goal is to just be the best possible dad I can be, and and I've learned that the challenges are different. You know, Leo's challenges and Edie's challenges. In your case, they're different challenges, but they're challenges nonetheless, or they're successes and and things to celebrate, and they're milestones. They're just different. And it's, you know, but I don't certainly 
think that what we would experience in our world is necessarily easier, harder. You know, there's there's so many challenges that neurotypical kids and dads have um, that we don't do and vice versa. And it's, yeah, I think the normalisation of just being the best possible dad um, for your kids and clearing the paths for them to have the best life is, I think is a very honest and refreshing approach, mate. So, um, yeah. And I, and yeah. I won't say you're doing a good job because yeah. I'm going to fire you up. But yeah, no, that, that would, uh, I'll just hang I respect, up there. No, I, I think I respect, I respect your approach, Josh, and I respect what you've, you know, how you've gone about it and just how honest mm-hmm. you've been because I think it's, as I said, for every dad listening, um, what you've described has, uh, yeah, and your experiences that you've shared, I think, certainly very relatable to, uh, I think, what happens when you first hear of the diagnosis and come to terms with it and how you respond and having to make those tough calls, but ultimately just um, do, do it, do it, doing the right thing um, and the best you can at each step along the way to get from point A to point B and taking the expectations off of the calendar and the timeline and all the things that, that we can get ourselves caught up with. And um, no, I think it's, I think your approach is, um, is great. Oh, thanks, mate. It's, uh, it certainly works for us. And uh, you know, it's, it's been uh, successful for us now for you know, six and a half years. And, and, you know, through, you know, she goes to a mainstream school. She, she has a full-time uh, teacher's assistant, uh, but you know, she's, in the classroom with 25 other kids every day and you know, participates in every everything, you know, does the activities, does the the sports carnival, uh, you know, PE on a Tuesday, does you know, library yeah. on a Thursday. Uh, and she's, she fully participates in, in, uh, in her community um, yeah. and really you know, that's all we can ever ask for. For her and how how she participates, she chooses you know, what she you know what what she wants to do, and and uh, sometimes she gets a little bit too much leniency uh, yeah. from people because oh it's Edie and she's doing this and oh oh that's yeah it's great to see and it uh, really uh, hurts trying to uh, set boundaries for her when people <laughs> when people. Uh, let her uh, give her a very long leash uh, yeah. sometimes because they don't want to. Uh, they don't want to be. Uh, yeah, they don't want to try and limit what she's doing or, or anything in the name of uh, keeping her involved. But uh, she certainly gets away with uh, a lot more than she should from a lot of people, including me. <laughs> well, mate, as as a fellow Sagittarian, mate, as I said to you, she's, she, I'm no doubt she'll be uh, ambitious and she'll shoot for the stars. And um, yeah, mate, it's been a it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And thanks so much for for sharing your your experiences, Josh. Um, yeah, really appreciate it, mate. Not a problem at all. Thank you very much for having me on, and thank you very much for for starting up this. Uh, it's certainly been very informative and uh, certainly some lessons I've taken away from it over your first uh, 10 or 11 episodes there that um, really uh, yeah, made me think about where we are and how we've got here and, and how we move forward. So uh, great job, mate, and thanks for, uh, thanks for getting it all together.
No worries. My pleasure. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Dadability Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review, share with your friends. The more we talk and listen, the better we will be. Until next time, be present, be brave, and be kind.